Welcome to the new South Point Living podcast, brought to you by the publishers of South Point Living Magazine and South Point Sun Newspaper. I'm Melissa Hopper, Creative Director of South Point Publishing and Editor of South Point Living Magazine. Each week, I'll be joined by Mark Ribble, Editor of the South Point Sun, and we'll be talking about news and various things going on in our community. We'll do interviews with members of the community, and we'll also discuss some local history. Each week, new episodes will come out on Wednesdays, the same day the South Point Sun newspaper comes out. Now, if you're new to the area or wondering where the name South Point came from, it represents the fact that we live in the southernmost point of mainland Canada. So to us, South Point Living simply represents what it means to live in this community. And the South Point Living magazine was launched in the fall of 2019, and the South Point Sun newspaper has been around since 2010. Now, this first episode is going to be a little different than the rest will be. Normally, Mark will be telling me about what's coming up in the paper that week, and then we'll discuss some other things going on in the community, talk a little bit about local history, all those things I mentioned earlier. But for this first episode, I just wanted to take the opportunity to interview Mark, because a lot of people know him in the community. He has extensive history working in local media, previously worked for the Leamington Post before he joined South Point Publishing six years ago. Mark has also been active with Leamington Minor Baseball, South Point Minor Hockey. Uh, A lot of people know him as the host of Leamington Minor Baseball's Trivia Night. And then also something interesting about Mark is that he has a childhood experience that not many people can relate to. And that's something I'm excited to talk to him about. So here's my interview with Mark and we hope you enjoy it. Hi, Mark. Thanks so much for joining me. Happy to, to get a chance to talk to you. It's good to be here. It's been a long time since we've had a chance to talk. I know it is odd. Um, you know, we have worked together for six years now. You've been with Silicon Publishing for six years. And uh, the fact that we were in an office every day together for how long? And then now all of a sudden we, we barely see each other aside from this call right now. So um, it is nice to get a chance to talk to you. And before we get started, I know a lot of people know you as the um, longstanding host of Leamington Minor Baseball's Trivia Night. So I'm excited that um, before we go any further, you actually have some trivia questions that you're going to ask. And then at the end of the podcast, we'll give those answers. So if you want to go ahead and get yes. those questions. Absolutely. I've got five trivia questions that I can ask here. So I'll just go ahead and ask them and then we can do the answers after. Perfect. Um, the first question is, what does a funambulist walk on? So funambulist is spelled F-U-N-A-M-B-U-L-I-S-T. That's the first question. The second question is, Area 51 is located in what U.S. state? The third question is, what liquor is made mainly from juniper berries? The fourth question is, Monkey's guitarist Michael Nesmith's mother invented what office supply? And the fifth question that we'll ask today is, what former U.S. president taught constitutional law at the University of Chicago? Okay. Well, thank you. I know um, some regular um, attendees of the Trivia Nights are going to be happy that they have a chance to uh, get some of these questions. Uh, you know, they, they can get some trivia back in their life because it's been yeah. a while since we've been able to do that. So that's Absolutely. great. And then um, before we get into my questions for you, I actually want to bring up the fact that it's been almost two years in the making this podcast. You and I had discussed this. It was May of 2019 when we first discussed doing a podcast that we had actually even recorded, I think it was about three or four trial runs and shared it with our coworkers to let them listen to it. And then we never did end up uh, putting it out in the world just because I think it came down to the fact that producing a podcast is a lot of work. 
and there's so much more that goes into it than just the recording of it. So I want to acknowledge that this podcast wouldn't be happening now without the help of Sarah Hafling from Elevate Podcast Company. So Sarah is a local resident, host of the Made It Happen podcast. She recently started the Elevate Podcast Company, where she helps entrepreneurs and small businesses do just this, launch their own podcast. So I want to say a big thank you to to Sarah for helping us finally bring this podcast to life. And if you are interested, anyone out there interested in starting your own podcast, you can find Sarah at elevatepodcastco.com or on Instagram at elevatepodcastco. So again, it's crazy to think that it was two years ago that we had wanted to do this and now we're getting around to it, but I'm excited that, that this is finally happening. Yes, me too. I, I'm I'm excited that, you know, it's great that Sarah can help us out with that and get us on the air because we were really stuck at a place where we were recording something that we thought was interesting for people. And then, then it was trying to figure out the work involved in the background to get it up and running. So this is nice that she can take care of that. For us. Yes, for sure. And I think it's one of those things that um, in business, if you can't do things well, then find someone that can. And sure. uh, that's why I'm so happy to have met Sarah and to be able to let her do all, use her expertise to do all those things that we couldn't do. So, absolutely. Um, okay. So getting into my interview with you, I know, um, you know, a lot of people do know you in the community, but I just wanted to talk to you for anybody that doesn't know you very well, or even people that, that know you, but might not know certain aspects of your life and of your background um, in the local community. So how many years you worked for the Leamington Post prior to working for South Point Publishing? How many years were you with the Post? I was with the Post for 27 years. I started on Labor Day Monday, 1985, and uh, and they closed the paper on December 12th, December sorry, December 2nd, 2012. So, 27 years, um, and went from being a kind of a typesetter press guy up to at the end, I was I was actually doing reporting, which is what I always wanted to do anyway. So, it came full circle for me. And did you have other jobs in between? doing you know you started out typesetting and then reporting were there other things that you did along the way there yeah we did uh, i took uh, there was a time when i was uh taking care of uh all the pre-press which is in the camera room where you're making negatives for the press and that sort of thing and, and burning the plates and all that did that for a couple of years and kind of just went where i was needed and then ended up when they uh kind of amalgamated everything between the post and the shopper and we brought the the Amsburg Echo in to the fray. We tried to separate the jobs so that we could, we could, uh, everybody could use their strength. So I ended up reporting at that point. And uh, Mike Thibodeau, the former editor, had retired, and they needed somebody else to cover municipal stuff and and things happening around. So that was me. And I think that's common of a job in the media is that a lot of times you you do end up working in different areas. Um, and also, you like I mentioned earlier, you've been with South Point now for six years, but you started out um, in advertising sales and then you became the editor. Um, I think it was just before the pandemic started. Yes, uh, the week of, really. March 18th, 2020 was the first paper that I was responsible for, right in the fire there. Yes. Well, so over the years of working for both The Post and now um, with South Point, or obviously the pandemic would be a, a memorable um, story for you mm-hmm. to cover. Are there other ones that stand out to you, ones that you know you look back on and just think of what a profound impact it had either on you as a reporter or on the community as a whole? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the tornado um, that happened in Leamington in 2010 would stand out to me as 
as one of the biggest things that happened while I was in the journalism end of things. Just the devastation that that I arrived to in Leamington, because at the time I was living in Tecumseh and got a phone call that there was a tornado in Leamington, and and I rushed at six o'clock in the morning to Leamington to just find what looked like a war zone. So um, a lot of the pictures we took and stuff, because we were affiliated with the Toronto Sun, ended up going nationwide too, because we were the only reporters on the ground at the time. So, and that's not that something that happens very often in our community here. That you know, you get national coverage for something. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And the other, the other thing I guess would be last summer when Doug Ford got his haircut in Leamington, that was kind of a big deal. So, so I was there front and center in the barbershop taking pictures and uh, it was kind of exciting, but it was also a little nerve wracking because it was a big crowd and we were right in the middle of, of the first wave of the pandemic. So it was kind of nerve wracking being in, in among all those people, but uh, I survived and we got the pictures out and that was good. So. Well, and that definitely helps um, for what you use for your lead story on a week like that when you have something like that happen around here over the years how have you seen the newspaper industry change i mean you said you know you started in the 80s and so things have changed a lot since then and what are some of the biggest changes that you've seen well when i first started i think the biggest change has been has been the technology and the ability to bring pages from the point of the idea of what you want to put on the page to the point that it's on the press Um, when i first started we we were still typing on screenless computers. It was just a keyboard. There was no screen. And so you didn't know if you were making mistakes in spelling or anything. And uh, we, were, we were building everything with paper. Everything was waxed and stuck down and cut out um, on storyboards and that sort of thing. And then they were shot to a negative and burned to a, burned to a plate. Now it's, uh, it's really the push of a button. You make a PDF of your page and, and send it electronically to the press room and they take care of the rest so it's so portable that now because of the pandemic i'm able to move home and work from my home office and if i decide to go back to the office i pick up my computer go back to the office and in five minutes i'm working again so everything has really changed that way technology wise i guess so and i know how um you know i don't want to say it's easy to make changes at the last minute because we have we have a a, just so people understand sort of the process of what happens is we have a, a press time that we have to follow each week. And so the press, we use a press um, that's located um, somewhere else in southwestern Ontario. They wait for us to send the files to them. So we have that standing time with them that we have to get the files to them by. And if we need to make changes last minute, because it is digital, it makes it a lot easier than if it wasn't digital. So what would happen back before everything went digital if all of a sudden you guys had to make a change or you noticed that there was an error or the wrong cut line got put with a photo? I mean, how, how did you make changes back then? Well, back then, back then, every newspaper had their own press room. So you were on site with the press. So there were often times um, we would be running the press in the early days and we'd have 3,000 copies off and all of a sudden the publisher would come back into the room and say, stop the press. And you, you know, it's kind of cliche, but yeah. it happens. And you stop the press and, and you, uh, you get a new page made, a new negative made, a new plate made, you put it on and you go. So that was probably, I'm going to say that was a 20 minute to half hour process because once the negative was developed, it actually had to dry because it came out wet. So it had to hang and dry and you had to wait for that to happen before you could burn the plate. So now if somebody says, can you make a change? 
provided the press hasn't already started because the press guys are a little bit different than they were back then. If you're in your own building and it was your own paper, you, sh you shut the press down when the publisher said so. Nowadays, once they start, they probably are not going to stop for you because you're just a customer of theirs, basically, right? So now, um, but it is easier to make the change now. It can be made in a matter of two or three minutes. Um, and then they have to burn a, a new plate also to do that. So that part of the technology hasn't changed as far as getting a new plate onto the press. But it's a lot more, it's a lot quicker to get to that point. And that's one of the things that surprised me. So um, for anyone that doesn't know, we actually had our own press here in Leamington for, I think it was about two years um, on Oak Street. And so early on when that got put in, I was involved in that process from the production side of things as far as getting the PDFs of pages, getting them emailed over to the press. And there was a large machine there. And so when you talk about printing plates, that was something that um, I'm surprised hasn't been changed, but I mean, it really makes you understand how involved of a process it is to actually get the newspaper printed that these PDFs go over there and, and they are literally printed on these large metal sheet that, that in, in four colors, um, CMYK, and then they, those individual four sheets get taken over to the press and have the ink spread all over them and then put through you know, it, it just surprises me so much that in all the ways that we've been able to use technology to make things more efficient, that that whole process um, hasn't changed a whole lot over the years, but also makes me understand why those press guys, when you tell them they need to stop the presses, I mean, it, they've already done a lot of work to get to that point that they're at if they're starting to print your paper. So making changes once they're at that point definitely isn't as easy as just saying, okay, yeah, we're going to reprint. It's not like printing something out of your printer where you're like, oh, I'll just print another copy of that. Like, There's right. so much more involved in that process. Yes. And, and what a lot, a lot of people don't realize is that when they start up the press, there are probably between two and 3,000 papers that as the press gets rolling and the ink starts moving onto the page, um, there are probably two to two to three thousand papers on every press run that get thrown out at the beginning because they gotta wait till everything's adjusted, the inks are adjusted and all that sort of thing before they can call them good. And then so that if you if you go back with a change and they have to stop the press, they have to go through that whole process again. And it, there's a lot of waste involved. So I think a lot of it is waste management for them. They don't want to have to throw out 3,000 at the beginning and then throw out 3,000 again to get it restarted. Obviously if if there's a huge mishap on the front page or something and you need to get it changed, then, then obviously they have to do it. But uh, they don't they usually frown upon it. Do you, um, you mentioned a mishap on the front page. Do you recall any, um, you know, humorous ones that you want to share that you, you remember? I mean, it's not always fun to talk about the things that get biased and just also so people know. There's a number of people that proof the pages before it goes to print. And there are some times that, you know, mistakes get past three, four or five people's eyes. So there, you know, sometimes we've received comments from people saying, oh, I can't believe you had that error in there. But know that there were a number of people that missed that. And a lot of times when you're proofing things, your mind reads what it's supposed to be and not what it actually says. But do you recall any humorous ones that, you know, over the years? I do recall something um, back in the day there was. And it wasn't at our paper. It was somebody else's paper. I think it might have been out of Chatham or something. And it was brought to our attention. Somebody sent us a picture of it or something. And they had run a picture upside down. It was a photo of uh, a bunch of things 
there was kind of a crowd photo of not of people but of of machinery and stuff and uh it was it was upside down and nobody noticed it through the whole process until after it came out in the paper and then and then it was uh noticed at that point i don't think there's anything else that would be family oriented there there was a time when we i did a story about uh about south buxton raceway and there was a fellow by the name of joel dick that was driving and the editor at the time was working out of uh, the dresden paper this this was in the last days of the Wilmington post and he was choosing the headline so he wrote a headline that was that wasn't very appropriate and when it came back to me for proofreading i said whoa we can't do that <laughs> it just it just sounds funny right yeah so those are the type of things that that get by if you're not careful and you're not watching it right yeah all right well switching gears here um you know there's something that you you have a childhood experience that not very many people can relate to and that's the fact that you actually your family home you grew up in point Pelee national park so can you talk a little bit about what that was like growing up there, how unique that was, uh, you know, just having people constantly coming to the park as visitors, but your family home is there. Absolutely. It was really unique for for us to grow up inside the park. Um, the marsh was in our backyard. We had about an acre of property where we lived, just south of the boardwalk. And behind our property, the marsh was there. So you could go out into the marsh and catch bullfrogs or whatever you wanted to do. It wasn't unusual to see a deer walk through your backyard on a weekly basis. The big thing for me was the visitors, and my childhood was spent looking forward to summer because as soon as June came, all of the kids from Windsor and Detroit that came for the summer, and we had uh, 10 cottages that were situated on our back property that uh, – People rented the land for my father and moved their cottages or built their cottages there so they could spend the summer there. So my dad had a little income from that, and it was nice just to have those kids because I would see them from June till September. And then when Labor Day came and everybody went back to school, they went back to Windsor and Detroit, and I never seen them again until until the next summer. So it was kind of cool to grow up that way with summer friends that came every year. Um, up until I was about nine or 10 years old, they all came every year and we spent a lot of time together. And because they were cottagers, they were, they had fires and campfires and stuff like that. And, and my parents would get together with them and play cards and stuff. And the kids would run around at night and chase fireflies. And it was just a really unique experience for somebody to grow up in and something my kids will never know because nobody lives down there anymore. So when you guys were living there, were there other families that were living there at that time year round? Yes, but progressively that was getting smaller as time went on. I would say probably about 1968 or 69, the government really started to push to get to buy properties up to get the residents out of there so they could uh, revert it back to its natural state. So um, we stuck around till 1974, and there were others that waited a few years more, but we were among the, first, the last people that actually lived down there full time and the only reason for it was was because my dad ran a fishery down there a commercial fishery and a and a retail store for the fish so uh we kept it open as long as we could until he was ready to retire well that's great and that's i think you know like you said the the memories that you have of that that your kids will never be able to experience but is that something that you go back to the point often and you go there on a regular basis yeah absolutely 
my wife and I are there probably a couple times a week. We take a drive down there late in the day. And, and I always stop at, our, at my old driveway and look longingly at my old home. You know, it's not there anymore. It's just trees now. But uh, I know where it is. And my, my siblings obviously would remember where it is too. But uh, it's nice to just kind of slow down as I go by there, take a look, kind of remember and keep on going. And I've, I've taken my kids, my adult kids there and actually said, okay, see this sign here? Right across from the sign was my driveway when I was a little kid. If you were to go back there with a metal detector or something, you'd probably find all sorts of memorabilia from my childhood. So it's kind of neat to be able to think about that, although they won't let you do that. So yeah, I'll stop thinking about it. Yeah. Now, you've been involved in the community a lot over the years. Can you talk about some of the different things that you've been involved in? Sure. Uh, minor baseball and minor hockey, probably my two biggest things I was involved in. I coached baseball even when I was still playing. I was, I was probably about 14 when I coached my first baseball team. And a lot of those kids that I coached then are now in their 40s or 50s. So it's kind of, kind of strange to think that way. But, um, and then I coached, I coached ba- baseball when my kids were young went, went and did that uh got on the minor ball board i was president of the minor ball at one point that was leamington right leamington minor league. baseball yes yeah, sorry and then i was on the leamington minor hockey board when we switched over to south point minor hockey in 93 um and amalgamated with wheatley and and brought brought a lot more kids into the system at that point so i was involved in those two things other than that um organization wise i don't think i was involved in and anything else, hockey and baseball have kind of been my main my main interest over the years. So I was involved in both of those things. And then with baseball too, doing the trivia night, how, do you know how many years that's been running or that was up until the pandemic hit? Yes, I think we did trivia night 20. The very last one we did was trivia night 20. So it went um, the first two or three years we did trivia night, we did it twice a year. So I would estimate that it started right around – 2002 or 2003 and we did a a spring one and a fall one the first couple of years and then we just started to go annually because it was just it was a lot of work for the organizers and um for me i was kind of just the the mc so i i just showed up the night of and asked the question so it was kind of easy for me but a lot of them were doing a lot of work behind the scenes and we found that out when we hosted our own there a couple years ago so Mm -hmm. well it's always a well-attended event it's fun uh, always a fun Mm -hmm. night and something that hopefully we can get back to doing um you know once things things hopefully start to return to some level of normalcy soon so on that note too what are some of the things um locally that you're looking forward to doing when we can actually start sort of you know living normal again well, I'd certainly, I, I had always told myself I was going to play lob ball up until I was 60 and I'm 60 now. So, but I've missed out on the last, on last season and this season so far. So I'm really hoping that there's some time to get some slow pitch in. Um, my hockey days, I think are over because I haven't played for three years and I really would dread putting on a pair of skates at this point and trying to competitive, be competitive. I'd, I'd like to do some fishing, which uh, my wife and I have both talked about it and not done it. So, and we'd like to travel as well too. But mostly, uh, we'd like to spend more time with our grandkids because right now it's kind of driveway visits and trying to see them from afar. And and uh, we don't know, we never know how much we're missing out on when when it comes to uh, to that sort of thing. So, hopefully, that'll uh, straighten out and we can spend some time and maybe take them camping or something cool like that. That would be neat to do. 
Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't want to talk about the pandemic too much because I think we all get enough of it on a daily basis. And, um, you know, it it just is that dark cloud hanging over everyone. But I want to talk to you about being the editor of a newspaper in the middle of a pandemic and how challenging that is because you're constantly trying to find stories every week. I mean, it's a weekly paper. You want to have stuff in there, but there's really nothing going on. I mean, there's not other than new restrictions being put in place or when restrictions get lifted, but it's not like there's sports. It's not like there's, you know, festivals and events that are happening. So what have you been doing to try and keep, you know, some good relevant information in there or just even keeping stuff that the readers um, look forward to reading? Well, a lot of it is, a lot of it is just kind of being in the right place at the right time. Um, I do get stuff off Facebook. If, if somebody posts something on Facebook, as much as Facebook has been a, a hindrance to the local newspaper community, I think it also helps in some ways um, that we get we get ideas from that. Somebody will post something about something really cool, and I'll try and search them out and get get in touch with them and, and do an interview. So the feel good stories are there; they're always going to be there, and those have always kind of been my interest in doing something that I think is unique that people will. Well, like reading, the sports aren't there right now. They're just, nobody's doing anything. So we're doing a lot of flashback sports and stuff like that. I, I've, we've been fortunate to have Scott Holland help out and he's providing us, us with a lot of stuff from the old archives of the Leamington Post. And we're able to run that sort of thing. Um, but as far as live sports, there's not much going on. And it's really tough to, other than other than to talk to the organizations and get a feel for what they're going through and report that it's, it's just kind of tough to get anything uh, going sport wise Um, news wise. You're right. It's everything you write comes back to the pandemic one way or another, even if it's a feel good story about the Salvation Army doing something really good for somebody, it comes back to the pandemic again. It's based on the fact that, People can't do things, so the Salvation Army is helping them out, or t- that sort of thing. So it is all, it's very pandemic based, and it will be nice just to look forward to doing stuff that's not about the pandemic because people get tired of hearing about it and they get tired of reading about it. Let's, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And if people do have story ideas for you, whether it's now, you know, they have some feel good stories, whether it's, um, you know, anytime in the future, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you um, to get those story ideas to you? Well, they can email me at mark at southpointsun.ca. That's, the, that's probably the easiest way because my email is always on. Except this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Except yes, we we've had some technical difficulties with our South Point Sun emails. So um, you mentioned Facebook too, and that's a good place that if you ever have emails bounce back when you send them to uh, anyone that's email is at southpointsun.ca. Just um, you know, reach out via Facebook or call our Absolutely. office. Uh, 519-398-9098 is the office and the message and we'll make sure someone gets a hold of you. But yeah, on the normal um, time when there's no technical issues, emailing you is probably the best way to get a hold of you. That is, yeah, that is the best way simply because um, I've got it on my, on my cell phone as well. So if my, if it dings, I look at it and if it's something that needs immediate attention, if somebody's got a ribbon cutting or something going on an hour from now, if they email me and I can, and I'm, I've got my phone with me, I can get there. 
on that note too, it's, there's times when it's not possible to get someone out. Like you said, like, let's say there was going to be a ribbon cutting in an hour and, um, you know, you aren't able to attend, you already have a prior commitment. We don't have anyone else that can go out and cover it too. Um, one of the things that I think you often encourage people to do is if they can even take a picture of themselves, have somebody take a picture of what's going on and even send it in. And that way, if we can't get somebody out there, we can still get some coverage in the paper for, for certain events. Absolutely. What, yeah, what people I think often don't realize is that, um, unlike the old days when the newspapers had three or four or five editorial people going, going to town council and doing all of that, I'm a one man show right now. And, uh, and I expect it'll probably be that way. I do have a freelancer, Deanna Bertrand, that does, goes out and takes some pictures on the weekend for me. Gives me a little bit of a break. But, um, as far as getting the stories done and getting them put together, um, that's just a one person job right now. And, and I can't be in two places at once, obviously. So if somebody does have something going on and, and, uh, they want to take a picture and send it in, they feel it's newsworthy as long as they provide some details and maybe a phone number so we can verify things, then that's great. We can, we can accept that for sure. And I think, um, you know, want to mention too, the, the newspaper comes out every Wednesday. It, it's a free publication that gets distributed through Leamington, Kingsville, some drop locations in Wheatley as well. And I, I just want to mention too that thank you so much to all of our advertisers between both the newspaper and the magazines that it would not be possible for us to get these publications out there if it wasn't for our advertisers. And obviously, um, we're at a point now where we understand more than ever how important it is to shop local and support local. And so just want to say a big thank you to our advertisers because we couldn't do this without you. And so to everybody that reads the paper and reads the magazines, and if you're enjoying reading those, please, please support the advertisers in there because with their support, we're able to keep bringing those publications to you. So thank you, everyone that's advertised with us over the years. For sure. Without the advertisers, we wouldn't be able to put out a paper. It's, it's very simple. So it's very just a mathematical um, fact that without uh, advertising revenue, it's not feasible to put out a paper. So the advertisers that have stuck with us through this, um, I tip my hat to them because often they're struggling on their own and they're still reaching out to advertise because they know the importance of getting their message to the people. Yes. And knowing that there's so many businesses out there too, who are, um, you know, struggling right now. Um, I can mention that we do have a campaign that's going to be coming up on the South Point Living um, social media. And that's something where we're going to be uh, profiling, I guess, um, different businesses within the community. And it's called Local Love Campaign. Basically, we're just asking any businesses that want to um, be profiled to send in, you know, a little bit of information, go to the website southpointlivingmag.ca or go to our Instagram account at southpointlivingmag. And um, you'll get a link to a form that you can fill out, tell us a little bit about your business, upload a picture to go with it. We'll be posting it on our social media, the South Point Living social media accounts, just as a way. I mean, we understand we want to be able to help as many local businesses as we can, because we understand how important those businesses are to our community. And so this was a way that we thought we could give back, um, knowing that we have a platform that we can share, um, you know, different businesses to get them some attention to hopefully, you know, help get some support from the community. Uh, you know, there might be a lot of businesses that you don't even realize are in our area. And so we're, we're trying to get some exposure for those businesses that might be struggling right now. And so looking forward to having that come up um, on future episodes of the podcast, hoping to talk to some of those business owners too, who will be featured in the local love campaign. So excited that 
we were finally able to do this podcast after talking about mm-hmm. it for so long. Um, and I thank you for, for sharing your story and, um, you know, everything that you've done in the community over the years, especially your involvement in local media. So before we end this, we need to get to our trivia answers. So I'm looking forward to hearing the uh, answers, especially the very first one, because I have never heard that word before in my life. Yes. Well, a funambulist, and I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing it properly. It could be funambulist, but a funambulist uh, walks on a tightrope. That's a tightrope walker. So any member of the Wallenza family would be a funambulist. Yes. Or Phil Dunphy. Yes. Or Phil Phil Dunphy. Yes. (laughs) In every attempt. So, um, the second question was, where is Area 51 located? And, and I, I ran this question by a friend of mine, and he immediately said, Roswell, New Mexico. And I said, no, that's not right. Area 51 is in Nevada. Nevada would have been, and, uh, Roswell, the Roswell thing and the, and the Area 51 thing are two separate things, apparently. And I, I really didn't know that myself. So, so Nevada is the proper answer for that question. The alcohol, the liquor that's made mainly from juniper berries is gin. Uh, something else I really didn't know. I drank gin when I was younger. My that was my mother's favorite drink, and she was not a drinker by any means, but she liked gin and Seven Up, and and it was tasty to me when I was of age. But uh, so juniper berries, which I see a lot when I'm out in the in the northern bush in the fall, never thought they would make gin, but that's kind of cool. Um, Monkey's guitarist Michael Nesmith's mother invented liquid paper. Oh. So she was the inventor of the original liquid paper, um, not white out because they are competitors, but mm-hmm. liquid paper is, is, uh, is the answer to that one. And the last question was what former U.S. president taught constitutional law at the University of Chicago, and that was Barack Obama. So um, those, those are just kind of cool questions that I picked out that I thought people would, would uh, get a kick out of some of the answers. So. Well, and I look forward to having you um, bring some questions every week when we do this. I, You know I love trivia, and I know we have a lot of people in our community that love it too. So I think they'll look forward to that. And then on a weekly basis, we'll be talking about different things. You'll be um, talking about what's coming out in the paper that week. We'll talk about some other, you know, any anything that's going on in the community that hopefully things there'll be some more exciting things to start talking about here soon. But um, also, we're going to start talking about local history. And I know for the first week that we have coming out, um, you know, the very first official episode will be coming out on May 5th, Wednesday, May 5th. And so we have some neat stories that we're going to be talking about then stuff that took place in local history um, that week. So I guess just in closing, thank you, Mark, for uh, for you know, talking to me today about all of this and also want to say a big thank you to Sarah Hapling again from the Elevate Podcast Company for producing our podcast and helping us, uh, you know, finally bring the podcast to life. And thank you to anyone who listened and we hope you'll join us again for our next episode of the South Point Living Podcast.